Okay, so what's with all these zombies? That's my question of the day. When I was a kid, I was into things like dinosaurs and monsters, as a lot of kids are. And back then in the 60s, you knew who the big monsters were, because you either had an Aurora model kit of them, or they were on the cover of a magazine like Favorites Monsters of Filmland. Some of those names we know today, some we don't. Frankenstein's monster and Dracula stand out, because they were the big names. They actually had names. Others were not so lucky. Like the Wolfman. The Wolfman seems a little silly now. These days we would call the same beastie a werewolf, or a lycanthrope, or a lycan, or something. And he wouldn't wear a shirt and pants the way he did back in the 1940s. The Wolfman's name, when he wasn't a wolf, was Larry Talbot. But unlike Dracula, the name Larry Talbot didn't become a household word. Even though we have thousands of other vampires in books, TV shows, and movies now, Dracula still reigns supreme, probably because he was a count. Larry Talbot was just another guy who was a werewolf. The other monsters, when I was a kid, had names that also tended to be forgotten. The Mummy, the Hunchback, the Phantom of the Opera. Two of them were just normal people that were deformed or scarred. And the mummy was just kind of a Frankenstein's monster, but a little bit slower and not quite as cool somehow. The point of all this is that zombies really weren't on our radar when I was a kid. You can make a case that Frankenstein's monster or the mummy were really zombies because they were dead people that walked around, but Dracula was also a walking dead if you want to count that. We knew of voodoo zombies back then from stories that had come out of Haiti in the 1930s. And there were a few lesser horror movies about voodoo zombies. But if the mummy was like a less cool version of Frankenstein, voodoo zombies were an even less cool version of the mummy. They were just slow moving and not nearly as old. It wasn't until 1968 when George Romero came out with his low budget black and white movie, The Night of the Living Dead, that the zombie as we know it made his first appearance. Before then, the idea of a zombie apocalypse was in nobody's head. And even in 1968, it wasn't an overnight sensation. It made money, it eventually became a cult classic, but like a lot of movies that take the cult classic path, it really didn't make that much of a splash in our social consciousness. As an 11-year-old kid, the Romero brand of zombies weren't on my radar at all. I was a big reader of Marvel Comics, which came out with a comic book called Brother Voodoo five years later, which featured voodoo zombies. And at the time, the comics code, which set an industry guideline that followed a set of industry guidelines put in place in the 1950s, wouldn't even allow the word zombie to be used in a comic book. So Brother Voodoo mostly fought Zuvembis. So again, then it wasn't even, even then it wasn't until 1978 when George Romero came out with the sequel to Night of the Living Dead called Dawn of the Dead that I first really noticed zombie apocalypse style zombies. And I think that was kind of the way with a lot of people. As the years passed after that, more and more of that style of zombie movies were getting made to varying levels of success. And there was the Michael Jackson thriller video, which I read from earlier, with did zombie dance. But even then, zombies weren't quite going viral in our culture full out until a guy named Robert Kirkman created a 
little comic book called The Walking Dead in 2003. Zombies had already reached a level of popularity that could support a comic book that was just about zombies. I've been reading comics, as I said, ever since I was interested in monsters, and to be honest, Kirkman's new comic wasn't something I was even interested in. But I'm a bit older, and the zombie-loving generation had come along sometime after my youth was done. And Robert Kirkman just knew just where that in generation's interest lay. Not only creating the comic series The Walking Dead, but also creating this comic book called Marvel Zombies, where he took classic Marvel superheroes like Captain America and Spider-Man and made them zombies. <laughs> Seemed kind of silly at the time, but it was just a part of this growing popularity of zombies. People's growing love of zombies, which included the novel World War Z by Max Brooks in 2006, finally hit a peak in 2010 when AMC turned Robert Kirkman's zombie comic book into a hit TV series. And after that, the rotting corpse genie was pretty much out of the bottle. Now, we have zombie shooting spook houses at Halloween. We have zombie romantic comedy movies. We have zombie walks, zombie runs, zombie video games, zombie makeup artists. We have zombie art and zombie academic papers. Which brings me back to my original question. What's with all the zombies? When something becomes very, very popular, I always like to consider what it tells us about ourselves. Harry Potter, for example, always seemed to me to be about us learning to deal with magic as a part of our everyday lives. You didn't notice that magic is a part of our everyday lives now, did you? Well, in case you missed it, I'll fill you in with a quote from the classic writer of science fiction, Arthur C. Clarke. Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. And since our technology has advanced past the point where most of us don't have a clue as to how it actually does what it does, it might as well be magic. Sure, you can ask the demon Siri in your magic pocket tablet to explain it all to you, but what if she won't? You can't fix her? It's basically magic to us. And Harry Potter, to my mind, help, might, is someone who just kind of helps us get used to that idea. So if you look at zombies, what are they helping us get used to? What sort of transformation, transition, are zombies preparing us for? The apocalypse? No, we've had apocalypse as long as we've had humans. If it's not the solar eclipse, it's a nuclear bomb. If it's not a nuclear bomb, it's the bird flu. If it's not the bird flu, it's artificial intelligence. Zombie apocalypse isn't really about an apocalypse. Are zombies about our fear of death? Well, not really. Zombies are a little too alive to be a part of our fear of death. Sure, they're dead and they're all rotty and diseased looking, but there they are walking around, eating like pigs, acting pretty much alive. They're definitely the low-budget version of life after death, but they're still life after death. They kind of beat death somehow. And death, along with the fear of death, has always been with us. Zombies are a little more recent development. So what else could zombies represent? The first thing that came to mind, as I was considering the potential metaphor of The Walking Dead, was overpopulation. The world is always getting more and more crowded every day, and zombie movies seem to be about getting swarmed by 
a crowd of them. But not all zombie movies are about that. Take the movie Warm Bodies, for example. Warm Bodies is a zombie romantic comedy that I mentioned earlier where the main character is a zombie. In Warm Bodies, a teenage zombie named R, just the letter R, mentally narrates about his zombie lifestyle and his eventual meeting and falling in love with a live human girl. It's basically a Romeo and Juliet story about two young lovers from different sides of a deeply rooted conflict. It's one of the happiest zombie movies you'll ever see, and I recommend it even if you're not into such a thing, despite the Romeo and Juliet style story. And I think in that bit of happiness we can find what zombies really say about us. And to get to that, let's consider a zombie's favorite subject for a moment. Brains. <laughs> if you look at the more primitive parts of our brains, those parts that make us do what we do for basic primitive reasons, no matter how smart we think we are, you'll find something called social identity theory. Social identity theory takes our brain's love of categorizing things and does it with people. We break people down into students and teachers, Cubs fans and Cardinal fans, boys and girls, shorts and talls, country folk city slickers, Scorpios, Virgos, on and on we go. Breaking humanity into categories helps us figure out who we are by comparing and contrasting ourselves with others. And social comparison helps us figure out what we think our place in the world around us is. I identify as a human being and not a dog, so I don't act like a dog. It's a very primitive and basic thing. But the one bad side effect of this social categorization process is the whole business of us and them. Yay us! Go team us! You use are the best church folk around, right? Yay. All of those other church folks suck. Oops. Oops. Now, now see, now, I'm, if you're the nice person that I know you all are, you probably know I crossed a line. Just because I'm proud of our church and all that it stands for, because I identify with this church, I can't go around saying other church's people are bad people. But that's the more developed part of our brains talking. The primitive part just wants to go, other church is bad, and come up with an excuse to fight them or something, because that's for just being not us. Us and them. We try really hard to get away from that. Really, really hard. We take down Confederate flags. We take away barriers to letting people love who they want to love. But we all know there are still people out there who can't let us and them go, no matter who them are. In any real war, one of the first things that happens is the dehumanizing of them. World War II, our propaganda portrayed Germans and Japanese as sort of lesser humans. Because war being what it is, you have to murder a lot of people to get the job of war done. Only we're not murderers if we're killing people who somehow aren't people like we are people. But we've grown a lot since the World Wars, and we're growing more every day. We now look at people in other countries as people just like us. And even though some of us still have a lot of growing to do, the women's rights movement, the civil rights movement, the gay rights movement, every day in every way, we're getting a little closer to accepting all of our fellow humans as being just like us. Now here's the problem. 
the primitive part of our brain, the old lizard, lizard monkey us and them part of our brain, still wants there to be a them. That old brain wants something that's not like us that we can be better than, something we don't even have to think about whether or not it's like us, and something we can bash in the head with a rock when we feel like it. And that's where zombies come in. No way are those stinky, rotting yuck monsters anything close to us. Zombies are the one minority we never have to accept. We never have to allow basic human rights to. We never have to treat as equals. Because they don't exist. It's like we made them up just so we could have someone for that primitive part of our brain to hate and fear. You can bash a zombie's head in with a rock and it's okay. It's not murder. They were dead to begin with. <laughs> if you pay much attention to zombie fan culture, you know that one of the primal joys of zombie fighting is finding some completely new way to bash a zombie's head in. Violence against zombies is more brutal, more splattery, more of a special effects artist's one-upmanship than any other kind. Because even though they walk around on two legs, wear clothes, and generally seem people-shaped, they aren't people anymore. The fact they used to be people can add dramedy, drama, or comedy, or some other shading to the story. But true zombies aren't people to us. They're things. Things that pose enough of a threat that extermination is the default setting for dealing with them. If you get to the core of any good zombie movie, the story you'll see isn't about zombies. Zombies are just sort of a natural disaster, like a hurricane, an earthquake, or a plague. The story always comes from how surviving humans interact with each other as a result of the disaster, and how they solve the problems of surviving that disaster. The best zombie stories, like all stories, aren't about zombies, they're about us. How we survive, how we get along with each other when things get rough. The mere fact that zombie stories exist is also about us and that primitive need to measure ourselves against something else and feel like we're a little better than something else. And this is where it gets interesting. As good people, we like to try and embrace the other, to be inclusive and find empathy for those people who are different from us. Zombies, however, were created to be as different from us as they possibly can be. They're ugly, they stink, they want to eat us. They're offensive on all sorts of levels. So do we still try to understand them, to embrace them as fellow humanoid life forms, even though they're technically not alive, as would seem to be the basic qualification for life form? Or do we just bash their heads in? One of the great issues of any zombie world comes from the moment where the person you love most in the world, best friend, lover, spouse, child, turns into a zombie. One minute, they're everything you love in a human being. The next minute, they're old yeller with rabies. <laughs> they go from one of us to one of them very quickly. And that difficult decision in almost every serious zombie movie only has one outcome, and it's not chaining them up in the garden shed to play video games with. <laughs> Although that does happen in one movie. The other has to be dealt with once and for all. I don't think we can ever embrace zombies. Even in the movie Warm Bodies, which features a romance between a zombie and a human, it only works because some of the zombies in the world are just very sick humans who can be made human again. 
Even in that world, there are zombies too far gone to be allowed to live in the same world with regular people. And I don't think we should feel too badly about our inability to just get along with true zombies. Like I said, they're a made-up thing. They don't actually exist. Nobody can walk with muscles and tendons. You need to move around when those things are all rotted and torn. And they're made up to be that, uh, the one other we can all rally together to be against. Because as much as we like to think about it, the, think that we've evolved past our primitive urges, they're still there waiting to surprise us. As we move away from prejudice, discrimination, and social injustice, the primitive parts of our brains, for a little while, will just need some kind of filler thing to take care of that space until we evolve past our influences. So for now, for a while, we all have zombies. And that's all right, for now. <laughs>